In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, Jesus is teaching his apostles about forgiveness. He says, if your brother wrongs you seven times in one day and returns to you seven times saying, I am sorry, then you should forgive him. To which the disciples respond, increase our faith. That's an interesting response because to some it can seem like a non sequitur. Why is forgiving someone an act of faith? Our Lord recognizes how rarely in reality we do genuinely forgive someone. To many people, when they say that they forgive, what they really mean is, I'm willing to ignore what you did for now because I want something else out of our relationship. Or they mean, It's not really that important, so I'll ignore it for now, as long as they don't do it again. But Christian forgiveness is not a negotiated peace. It's not bearing the hatchet because we're tired of fighting about it. It's not agreeing to let bygones be bygones because they don't really matter anymore anyway. Christian forgiveness is way more than that. It means forgiving that insult that really got under our skin. It means forgiving a debt when we're staring at our own bank account with a zero balance. It means forgiving another's wrongdoing, even if it has cost us a job or friendship or maybe even a marriage. It means forgiving even when we fear that the other person will hurt us again. That's why divine forgiveness, which we experience in the sacrament of confession, is really such a remarkable thing if we think about it. Unlike humans, God truly forgives us each and every time we confess, if we are really sorry. And God even gives us the grace to have contrition for our sins in the first place. Forgiveness in the genuine sense, not in the kind of self-interested calculation that we sometimes call forgiveness, is truly an act of faith. Because on a human level, Outside of faith, it really makes no sense at all. There's no purely rational reason to forgive rather than to enact vengeance when someone wrongs us. Indeed, Jesus tells his disciples to expect nothing more from the secular authorities. He says in Matthew 5, Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court with him. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. The best that one can expect from the world is strict justice, an eye for an eye, not mercy and forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness are in the province of faith. Because only by having the horizon of faith in our lives can we be freed from the kind of natural self-interest that is incompatible with forgiving. Only by looking beyond this life to the kingdom of God can we have the trust necessary to forgive. Rather than desiring to receive strict justice for each and every wrong done to us. So when we struggle to forgive, we should recognize that it's primarily a lack of faith. When we have Christian faith, which is at root a kind of love for God, then we are in a position to forgive. St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, Christian love does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered 
and it does not brood over injury. Everything I've said about the relationship of faith to forgiveness is equally applicable to service to the poor. Just like every Christian in theory wants to be a forgiving person, every Christian wants in theory to be generous to the poor. But we fail to do so because we lack sufficient faith. A person lacking in faith cannot forgive because they cannot trust that in forgiving they won't be taken advantage of again. They fail to trust that there is a divine justice that will reconcile all things. Similarly, we fail to be generous to the poor because we lack the trust. The trust that God in his providence will meet our needs. We fear that if we give too much of what we have, then we will just end up poor ourselves, and then maybe nobody will help us out. So instead, we cling to worldly possessions and stations. And as the Apostle James says in the second reading, we'll flatter the wealthy and be contemptuous of the poor. Because that seems to be the surest way to keep ourselves safe and comfortable in this life. I once saw an article on the internet written by a woman, a liberal, white, upper-income professional woman, in which she was lamenting the fact that in her life many people give her free things. She used examples such as when the desk clerk gave her a bottle of cold water when she checked into a hotel on a hot day, or the bank for giving an inadvertent overdraft on her account, or an airline giving her a complimentary upgrade to first class. She attributed the fact of her receiving these things to white privilege or class privilege and other fashionable social justice concepts. She felt guilty that these same niceties and considerations were not given to those who were less white or less wealthy than she was, who, she argued, could have needed or deserved those things much more than she did. But what she missed is the fact that these things were not given to her because of who she was or because, or because anybody thought she deserved them. They were given to her not because she was rich or white, at least not for the reasons that she understood. They were given to her because she was seen as a good customer. They were given to her to buy her loyalty and her goodwill. Nobody was giving her those things to be nice to her, but because they believed in the long run that they would benefit from her patronage. The flattery that people give to the rich, as St. James speaks of, isn't being nice to them even for their own sake. It's simply self-interested. The person doing that is doing it for their own hope for security and benefit. That's what's wonderful about the little sisters of the poor. They tirelessly serve those for whom they neither can expect nor receive anything in the worldly sense. As St. James said, it's the poor of the world who are the heirs to the kingdom of God. By being close to the poor, the sisters draw themselves that much closer to Christ. He himself said, that which you do for the least among you, you do unto me. No one is more least in this world that worships health and youth and wealth than those who are sick, elderly, or poor. This is the vocation which the sisters have given their lives to, because they are rich in faith. And by their faith, the faith of all of us in the church is increased. Thus, I encourage you to be especially attentive to their needs, so that this great work might continue. 
which raises up not just the poor, but all in the church who see this great work being done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.